You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. I know we should trust God, she would say, but he's making it too difficult for me. Have you ever felt that way? You know, you read a promise in the word and, and uh, you know, maybe something, and it, and it is difficult. Some of the promises that God has recorded for us in the Bible, you know, to just stand on those promises and wait on the fulfillment of those promises are hard and it's difficult. And you may feel at times that it's too difficult to wait on the Lord. But nevertheless, that's exactly what we should, what we should do. You're in a good place. You're waiting and trusting that the right person will come into your life. But in a moment of weakness, you give in to your desire and you make a big mistake. What God had in mind for you, you tried to take control of, and serious side effects came with that decision. In today's teaching, Pastor Mike speaks about another case where it was hard to wait on God's timing, and so people took matters into their own hands. The result had centuries-long historical side effects to the world. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 16 as he begins his message, God Sees. your Bibles and open with me to Genesis chapter 16 and it's the entire chapter so verses 1 through 16 now Sarah Abraham's wife had borne him no children and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar and Hagar becomes now the focal point of our study uh, this woman who she was and how God saw her and ministered to her and and what God did for her you can be sure that he will also do for you. And I think that many of us that are here are going to be able to identify with this woman. Well, anyway, in verse 2, So Sarah said to Abraham, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abraham to be his wife. And after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. And so he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarah said to Abraham, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. And so Abraham said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid 
is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. And he shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. And that's where we get the title of this message from, by the way. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? And therefore the well was called Beer Lahiroi. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And by the way, Ishmael becomes the father of all of the Arab nations. And uh, I want you to keep that in mind, because through Abraham and Sarah's disobedience, I mean, think about the turmoil that was the result of the birth of this child as it relates to Israel. And the battle that even continues up into the present time between the Arab nations and Israel. So anyway, just keep that in mind. But anyway, in verse 16, and then Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Now, let's uh, back up a little bit. Up until this point in the Bible, in our series here in the book of Genesis, We've been dealing with all of these huge, significant, biblical characters. Like, for example, Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, individuals sought of larger than life. And it might be easy, because of this, to come to the wrong conclusion. And that is, God isn't all that interested in the normal, everyday, disadvantaged little folks like most of us. But of course, he is interested in people exactly like us. And by the way, you know, think about this. All of the characters in the Bible were quite normal, were quite ordinary. That is, until God began to work in their lives. For example, consider Moses. And when we're first introduced to Moses, Moses was someone as an infant who is cast upon a river in a basket. I mean, think about that, right? In desperation by his mother. But nevertheless, God intervened. God, through his work that he wanted to do in and through Moses' life, he becomes a prince of Egypt. But not only the prince of Egypt, but then later on he becomes a prince of God, right? The, the idea here, when you study Moses in the Bible, was that his faith was in the hands of God. You know, even as your hands are in the fate of God. So it was God who made Moses great. And all of the other characters in the Bible, who when we're first introduced to them, were just ordinary, regular folks like you 
and me. So here in chapter 16, we're introduced to someone, and that someone is, is Hagar, as I mentioned. We need to place our focus upon her, who had no stature, that is by the world's standards. She's just nothing more than a slave. And yet it is clear she becomes the object of God's love and provision. Hagar is a slave, as I've just mentioned, with very little rights. And after being badly treated, she flees into the desert where she is met by God and given a wonderful promise for both herself and her newborn child, Ishmael. And then she is given the instructions Go back to Sarah, but before she does, she gives these symbolic names to God and then to the place where God had revealed himself to her. And she calls the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Go back to our text in verse 13. You are the God who sees me. Do you see that there in verse 13? This is the way that she refers to God or recommends God even to us you are the God who sees me. And then she names the place where God had spoken to her in verse 14, right? You see that there? Bir la Hiroi, which interpret means the well of the living one who sees me. Now, as I've already suggested, I think many of us can relate to this woman because there are many of us, including myself, who are not great in the world's eyes or estimation. Uh, you may be suffering for whatever reason. Uh, maybe you have been unjustly treated. Maybe you're at the end of your rope, as even Hagar is here in this chapter. Maybe you feel abandoned, all alone. Well, then... This message is particularly for you, relevant for you, because here's the bottom line. God sees you. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through, and you can be sure that he absolutely cares. So this whole thing, let's back up now to verse 1, begins by noting that Abraham and Sarah are childless. Notice there in verse 1, that's what we're told. And this presents many problems for this couple. Remember, they're growing older. In fact, you know, Abraham gives birth to this child, fathers this child when he's like, what, how old? 85 years old or was it 86? 86 years old. Can you imagine that? You know, when most of us are living down in Boca Raton, Florida, this guy is, right, fathering a child. But listen, this presented many problems for this couple. They're growing older. Their biological clock is running down. There's tension within the marriage. Remember, God, so many years before, had promised them a child. In fact, it was through his seed all of the nations would be blessed, which is a prophetical uh, announcement concerning the Messiah. But of his seed, remember, it would be like the multitude of the stars. And uh, so they're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. Many years have passed and transpired. And still, Sarah is without child. And so there's now tension within the marriage relationship. And their faith begins to fail them in the promises of God. And so now the man of faith, Abraham, 
becomes the man of unbelief. And he's about to get into trouble for exactly that. And this is always the case. When you abandon God, when you choose not to continue to keep your, and place your faith in God and go your own way, you know, start walking in your own strength and do things in the flesh, let me tell you something, you are heading for disaster. And so it was with Abraham. You know, as I suggested before, this child that was born, Ishmael, became the father of the Arab nations. And think of the conflict, even to the present time, between the Arab nations and Israel. Now, on this occasion, the temptation, notice, came from his wife, Sarah, because she initiated this whole thing, suggesting that Abraham take her handmaiden, Hagar, have intercourse with her, and therefore have an heir, a child would be born to them. So Abraham had already been tried, but this whole thing was initiated by Sarah. And, and you know, you, you got to wonder what was going on in Abraham's mind and what Abraham was thinking. Because, I mean, you know, this is not the first time that Abraham had come to a crossroad and had to make a choice and a decision. And up until recently in our series, uh, he was doing pretty good. Yeah, he had his faults. Yeah, he made many poor choices and decisions and paid the consequences of all of them. But I mean, basically, he was doing quite well, right? I mean, he overcame many obstacles, like, for example, the ties of nature and human love. When we're first introduced to Abraham, a couple of chapters back, when God first called him and commissioned him and was going to use him and work in him, uh, he first of all commanded him to leave his father's house there in Ur of the Chaldeans. The reason for that was the members of his family and all of the people of Ur, right, were idol worshipers. And so God had to instruct Abraham to get out from that place so that God could instruct him and use him. He had to get out of that place of idol worship. And so without any hesitation, he got up and left. He left his father's house. He left his family. He left his friends. He left his country. And he left his comforts. So as it relates to ties of nature, he passed the test. And then also, later on, he went through another test of the stress of circumstances. Remember, finally, as God had directed him to go into the land that he was going to show him, that is the land of Canaan, that was the land that God had promised him that he was going to eventually, well, not him, but actually his seed, was going to possess, that is, uh, Israel. When finally he arrives at that destination, what does he find? Someone... Anyone? There's a famine in the land, right? There's a famine in the land. So we went through that stress of circumstance, and he passed that test as well. But then also there was the trial between his brethren. Remember, God had blessed him and his nephew Lot and gave him many manservants and maidservants and flocks and herds and cattle and sheep and goats and, and so on and so forth. And quite naturally, there was this friction that developed between his herdsmen, that is Abraham's herdsmen, and then Lot's herdsmen. Well, anyway, he, he took the lower seat, right? And he told 
Lot to, you know, separate himself uh, from him and choose whatever area of the land that he wanted. And uh, unfortunately, Lot didn't choose wisely because, remember, he pitched his tent towards uh, Sodom. But in that test, Abraham passed with flying colors. But then there were other tests leading up to our study this morning, and that was the test of courage. Remember back in chapter 14, when this confederation of kings from the south came and uh, looted the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And not only did they take all of the loot of Sodom and Gomorrah, all of the riches of Sodom and Gomorrah, but they took many of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah captive, of which included Lot, Abraham's nephew. And so armed with over 300 of his servants, sort of like Abraham's special forces, Green Berets or you know, a SEAL team, he goes out against this confederation of five kings, and God gives him this great victory, right? He went out not in his own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. So he passed the test of courage. Now, flush with victory, uh, back from the battle victorious, he's met by the king of Sodom, who suggests to him, listen, you, after retrieving all of the loot, all of the booty, all of the people who had been taken captive, you know, the king of Sodom uh, says to Abraham, look, Abraham, just give us the people back, and then you keep all of the booty. You keep all of the loot for yourself. But you see, Abraham, being the man that he was, a man of integrity, wouldn't touch the loot because he knew that it wasn't him who had actually won the battle, but that it was rather God who went before him. And so he didn't want to have anything to do with that money. So therefore, he also passed the test of the lure of riches, right? So up until this point, think about it. As we've been studying this man's life, up until chapter 16, he met all of these fairly well. He wasn't perfect, right? Particularly during the time of famine where he went down to Egypt, contrary to what God had told him to do. But basically, up until this point, he's doing pretty well. But here, notice, let's go back now to chapter 15. He follows the lead of his wife. Listen, you know, guys, let me tell you something. More times than not, your wife is absolutely right. And listen to your wife. Your wives have a lot of wisdom. God gives wisdom to our wives. You can be sure of that. But anyway, here he follows the lead of his wife, and he stumbles badly. It happened because Sarah was herself bothered by the lack of children. She felt disgraced. So instead of patiently waiting upon God to fulfill his promise, his own way, she approached Abraham with the suggestion of taking her servant, who was, right, Hagar, and see if he could have a child by her. Now again, what in the world was Abraham thinking? But, you know, but think about this. You've you got to understand this culturally. This sort of thing was permitted back then culturally according to their law and custom. It wasn't God's law, but it was just that particular society and culture. So maybe that kind of played on Abraham's decision you know, maybe he weighed in on that, and maybe that added to 
Abraham making this poor choice. Or maybe Abraham was thinking, you know, maybe this is the way that God intended for us to have an heir. I mean, after all, it's been all of these years. He told me that Sarah was going to conceive, and, uh, but there was no sign of it. So maybe he just thought, well, maybe this is the way that you know, God chose to, you know, to do what he had promised to do. Isn't it interesting when you know, we have this hope of the scriptures, let's say, for example, we've read something and we believe it to be uh, of God, and, uh, and when it doesn't happen immediately, right, uh, we interject our own understanding into the whole thing, and we, we put all of these extracurricular kinds of things on the promises of God, and, and we're real good at doing that. We shouldn't do that. Just simply wait on the Lord. Maybe he was thinking, you know, maybe my wife is right. Maybe I should listen to my wife. Well, anyway, he did, and eventually, Hagar conceived a child by this action. But, folks, we know how this whole thing played out because we've read the last verse of this chapter. He was absolutely wrong. This was no way of solving his difficulty. You see, Abraham, as well as Sarah, was now operating in the flesh. And you don't ever want to operate in the flesh. When you choose to operate in the flesh and do things on your own, right, you can be sure that it's going to create all kinds of problems for you. That is, when you stop trusting God, when you stop looking to God for your answers and the solutions to your problem. Listen, as I mentioned before, you are heading for disaster. It'll only complicate your life. It'll only add to the problem that already exists. Now, with that said, let's go back to verse 2. I want you to take note of the fact that Sarah begins to blame God for all of this. And isn't this so human-like? You know, things aren't working out the way that we hoped they would work out. You know, rather than just waiting on the Lord and, and being thankful, we start to blame God for our problems. You know, where are you, God? You know, you did it for this person over here. Why aren't you doing it for me? And we start to blame God for our problems, right? Notice in verse 2, she says, The Lord has kept me from having children. Not true. As we read on, we're going to discover that later on she, in fact, gives birth to the child of promise and, uh, and will be introduced to that child in one of our future studies. But she's being belligerent. That's what's going on here. I know we should trust God, she would say, but he's making it too difficult for me. Have you ever felt that way? You know, you read a promise in the Word and... and uh, you know, maybe something, and it, and it is difficult. Some of the promises that God has recorded for us in the Bible, you know, to just stand on those promises and wait on the fulfillment of those promises are hard and it's difficult. And you may feel at times that it's too difficult to wait on the Lord. But nevertheless, that's exactly what we should, what we should do. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, and he said that it is very good. 
Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.